Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Gracious Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. So as we, uh, we enter into the temptation account today for the third time together, something's changed. Don't leave today thinking that if you follow a formula of praying more or of reading your Bible more, you'll be able to deal with the temptations going on in your life. It might sound a little bit strange, but prayer and scripture reading, they are wonderful gifts of God. Hear that, they are wonderful gifts of God, but it's not in following a more regimented formula of if I do this, if I do that, that will overcome temptation for you. You get it? Actually, what we're going to look at today is who was led into the wilderness for us, what he had to overcome, which was a lot, and how this is critical and relevant to your daily life in 2013. And so the big question this morning is less about Satan's tricks, although we don't want to be indifferent to that. We actually want to be a people who are switched on and aware to what's happening. But it's far more important for us to know and be in a relationship with the one who was led into the wilderness to overcome the evil one. There was a time many years ago, is is The Simpsons still on? I think The Simpsons is still on TV. Anyone watch The Simpsons over there? Yeah, a few? Okay, I used to watch The Simpsons. I don't anymore, I've got to admit. But uh, there there was that one episode uh, where uh, Homer couldn't go to sleep and so he was using, what was he listening to on cassette? I think the Book of Numbers or something like that. And the Book of Numbers is full of genealogies. And so this one begat that one, begat that one, begat that one and so so, uh, Homer put his headphones on and tried to go to sleep. And and it kind of of gives you the TV network's position on scripture. It makes it pretty clear, doesn't it? That that actually the Bible is nothing but a long series of sleep-inducing genealogies uh, being read out. And we're going to... We're going to actually talk a little bit about a genealogy in a minute because it actually is very important. It's not sleep-inducing. But Jesus' temptation today in the wilderness is framed on one side by his baptism. And at his baptism, he's anointed by the Holy Spirit as your prophet, your priest, your king and declared by the Heavenly Father, the voice from heaven, that this is my beloved Son, the Son of God with whom I am well pleased. And so the father declares this and then straight after that, right before we hear about Jesus going into the wilderness for the temptation, is this long genealogy that goes on from like verse 23 to 38 or something like that, okay? I want to just read to you verse 38 of the genealogy, we won't go right through it, but it's talking about the line of Jesus, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, 
the son of Adam, the original Adam in the Garden of Eden and then the son of God. So he sets it up, who he is, son of Enosh, son of Seth, son of Adam, the son of God. Now that's important that he's the son of Adam, the son of God and you see Adam and it's meant to bring all these alarm bells going off in your head because here's the thing, for people like you and for people like me who know and experience the guilt and the heartache and the consequences of falling into temptation, you know that this genealogy, you know when you hear the son of Adam, the son of God, this isn't something to induce some kind of deep sleep as you listen to the scriptures but something that actually is, has been given and spoken to you in order to breathe life and restoration and breathe the Holy Spirit into dry, dead bones and bring them to life. That's the purpose. That's why it's there. We know the sting of being children of the old Adam. We know that. We know that Adam was in the garden when the evil one threw out that original temptation. And how'd that go for Adam and Eve? Didn't go well, did it? Romans 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death came through sin and so death spread to all because all have sinned. It didn't go well for Adam. It didn't go well for us. And so as Jesus, this is the who part, as Jesus enters the wilderness, he goes as a new and better Adam. A new and better Adam. He goes led filled, anointed by the Holy Spirit. He goes as the heaven-declared Son of God and he goes walking in our flesh as that new and better Adam to face the evil one. And what has he got to overcome? In that painting is a picture of Jesus' baptism but then also the temptation in the background. It's like a picture of the of the scripture, how it works in Luke 4 from baptism right through to the temptation because Jesus is led in Luke chapter 4 by the Spirit into a cosmic battle and he's led into this cosmic battle with the dirtiest, ugliest, most slippery opportunist that the world will ever, ever know. And so if you're going to hate anything in this life, if you're going to hate anything, don't hate people who are created in the image of God. Hate the evil one and his rotten, stinking plan for you and every person that you know and love. That's where the indifference comes in. C.S. Lewis was right. We don't want to be indifferent. Satan is an opportunist and so he, he prowls around like a lion looking for people to devour. He bides his time. He sets plans in motion. He looks for areas in your life to exploit you and to manipulate you. And he's been around for a very, very, very long time and that means he knows the scriptures and he works hard to manipulate them and to lead you astray into false teaching. It also means that Satan knows all about who Jesus is. He knows who this Son of God is. He knew about the miraculous conception that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Satan was the invisible spectator at that baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. And so he knew that Jesus was the Messiah who had come to crush and to rob him, to crush and rob him, to destroy all his works, to establish the kingdom of God among people like you and like me. He knows this. And so this evil opportunist, absolutely full of himself, because that's what he is, 
thought, you know what, I'm going to break this divine champion, Jesus. I'm going to break him. I took care of the first Adam in the garden and now I'm going to just tear down number two as well. And your heavenly Father, seeing this, who sees everything, allowed this to actually take place in the wilderness and he allowed it for a reason. And so they're there in the wilderness and Satan was constantly undermining Jesus' true identity as your promised Messiah. He tries to hit Jesus when he's down because he's, he's hungry after fasting and he's trying to tempt him to turn stones into bread to repeat that Old Testament miracle of, of, turn, of, of the manna in the desert for the people which they ended up complaining about. He's tempting Jesus, your Messiah, to be not the, not the Son of God and the King of all glory and all the earth but to actually be the bread king of the earth, to be the king of the bread and to save himself. And Jesus overcomes and he drives forward as the Son of God. He won't stop here because he knows he's going to go on to feed 5,000 and not stop at feeding 5,000 but also to break bread at the Last Supper and to not stop at breaking bread at the Last Supper because he's here and present to feed you today with his supper given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. He's here, he's present, a temporary filling of his stomach to live for the moment, to live for the now to succumb to that opportunist and feed himself. That wasn't what Jesus was going to do. He saw you. He saw you and he longed for you and he wouldn't give up. And not only will he feed you today, he's there and he's present and he's prepared a cosmic banquet after he returns to take us all home in glory. He overcomes the opportunist by the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Secondly, Jesus is challenged by Satan for worship. The devil wants the Son of God to bow, to take a knee and worship him. What level of authority does Satan have? His authority is over a fallen world that is estranged from God. Estranged from God. That's where it ends. Its glory is doomed. We know this. To worship Satan is to lose the authority and the glory of being named as a child of the living God of heaven and earth. It's to lose the authority. It's to lose the glory. But he's such a liar. Ephesians 2 gives this vivid description of Satan's promises. And you tell me, after I've read this to you, you ever think about it and and see if this actually is a reflection of you of receiving authority and glory. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Hearing any authority and glory yet? All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, still no glory, and following its desires and thoughts. Here's the pinnacle of the authority and the glory that Satan promises you. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. He lies. He lies. There's no glory. There's no authority. Instead, there's wrath. There's slavery. 
And Adam and Eve felt that sting when they were sent out of the garden, east of Eden, away from the presence of the Lord. But today your Messiah overcomes where the old Adam, where Israel and where each one of us have failed. He proclaims and he lives the true worship, which is worship, worshipping the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh Elohim from the Old Testament. The Lord God Almighty. Jesus serves God perfectly. He worships God perfectly. No conditions like Satan set up. Listen to Satan. Worship me and then I will give you. It's conditions. You do this and then I'll do that. And even even what he offers is a lie. The Lord gives you his grace freely. He humbles himself and becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross for you. His worship and obedience to the Father is flawless for you. It's the second Adam and he does it perfectly, flawlessly. And so now any worship you offer is in response to his grace and his love, not out of any condition. It's in response. He's already done it for you. That wonderful work that he's poured out on the cross for you keeps going out. Thirdly, screen over there. Finally, Satan tries to twist the scriptures. He disguises himself as an angel of light in that he tries to imitate Jesus quoting the Bible but as the father of lies he leaves bits out so that he can misuse and misapply the scriptures and he's still at work, very much at work in this world teaching a false gospel that omits and leaves out important bits that misuses and misapplies the scriptures. How do you know? How do you know when you're hearing a false gospel? Well, you know you're hearing a false gospel if what you're listening to is filled with promises of authority for you now and today and glory for you now and today. It's all yours now. You can have it all now, but... The same message starves you of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he's done for you. If the message tells you that authority and glory and all that stuff, you can have that now, but it robs you of Jesus Christ and his work for you and all that he's done for you, then it's a pretty clear signal that your ears are being tickled by a false prophet and false teaching. But what a subtle temptation. This is why we don't want to be indifferent to go to church for some infusion of positive self-esteem. That is not the gospel. Twisting the love of God away from the truth in order to make you feel good or all sufficient in yourself, even if it means casting you east of Eden and, and away from the presence of the Lord, that's what the evil one wants for you. How is all this critical, relevant to you? can't see that. Can you see what it says? It's the victorious lamb. And if you're sitting over on the other side of the church, it says, our lamb has conquered, let us follow him. It's in a victory stance. The lamb of God in a victory stance. You see, Satan called Jesus' identity as the Son of God into doubt. That's what he did. He worked to get Jesus to bow down and to worship him, 
the evil one. He twisted the word of God and he falsified it. He didn't want Jesus to make it through the wilderness to bring the kingdom of God into the lives of broken people and he sure didn't want the Son of God to go to the cross like an innocent lamb to bear your sins or the sins of the world and the people you know and love. He didn't want that. But the Lord defeated Satan. He crushed him in the wilderness throughout his ministry and through the spitting and mocking and flogging and beating and nailing and crucifixion and resurrection from the dead. The Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ, is victorious. He has the victory. And yet to this very day, we experience the temptations and the presence of that evil opportunist in our lives, don't we? We experience that. You know what it's like to have that lion prowling around you, wanting to devour you, roaring at you, seeking to take your life, to knock you over in all kinds of different ways. You've felt the sting of falling prey to his traps and his tricks, experienced the guilt and the shame that that opportunist relishes in reminding you of over and over and over again because he's the accuser. It happens in marriages It happens at work. It happens in the street you live in, over the back fence in your small group, here at Trinity, at Peace College. Wherever it it is, it affects you today. Just like Jesus, crushing defeat delivers into your open hands and lives his forgiveness, his freedom from the accuser, accuser and his redemption. When the opportunist, when Satan sets traps for you, when you fail, when you fall, when you feel unworthy of grace and the Father's love, when he points that crooked finger at you and spits out all kinds of accusations, Jesus Christ declares, stop, this one is mine. Enough, Satan. Be still. You have a great high priest today who intercedes for you. Understand what that means, that he stands in the gap for you and he declares to Satan, in the wilderness I defeated you, in my ministry I cast you out through my cross of wood and resurrection, I triumphed over you, I made a public spectacle of you and I crushed you and your limited power forever. What's your claim on this, my brother, my sister, my friend, my family? What's your claim? I live in them. The Holy Spirit abides in them and they live in me and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Away, Satan. You're done. You're finished. Get lost. And he has no option but to flee. Friends, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Put on the armour of God. But know that your freedom from every sin and every accusation is yours through faith in the Son of God who overcame, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and who has mercy on each one of you and me. Amen.
And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, guard your hearts and keep them safe in Christ Jesus, the victorious Lamb who has overcome for you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and adore you and we bow our knee not to Satan but to you. We worship you, Lord. We are grateful to you for all you've done. You've done everything for us. You've walked flawlessly in our shoes for us. You've resisted temptation where we couldn't. You've done it. You've passed through. You've descended into hell to proclaim your victory over sin, death and the devil and, and, and raised, been raised to new life. And you've united us to yourself in such a way that we now live in your victory. We now live in you, in Christ. And there is no condemnation for us. Oh, Father, we praise you for that. We thank you that we're not condemned, we don't stand accused by the evil one, but your Father looks at us and sees beloved children with whom he is well pleased. Please make that a reality in each one of our hearts we would know who we are in Christ and that our Heavenly Father, you Lord, delight in us. We delight in you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen.